This episode of Bionic Planet is made possible with support from Ecosystem Marketplace, the world's leading source of freely available news and views on the economic value of nature's services. Ecosystem Marketplace, making the priceless valuable. One thing that we're still cracking our head at is how to get the billions in commitment down to the implementers within developing countries. I met Zimbabwean entrepreneur Chia Zahari at year-end climate talks in Dubai, COP28, where she represented the private sector within the Zimbabwean delegation. She runs the Ubuntu Alliance, which helps farmers generate and utilize data, which in turn helps move some of those billions into the hands of farmers by helping them engage with carbon markets, among other things. Carbon credits are a subsector of climate finance, and it's a mechanism to get funding to the people at the forefront of the effects of climate change. And I feel like a lot of the coverage in the media has been around the millions and the money, and it's taking away from conservation and climate change. She points out that farmers can now use carbon credits to reduce food waste. We produce enough food, but it's just the efficient distribution of that food that can result in shortages in certain areas. She's working to overhaul the country's agricultural economy in ways that could make it look more like sectors that she concedes are less noble in their ambitions, but more effective in supporting the small producer. We don't really like talking about the sector, but one sector that has done it very well in my country is the tobacco sector. They're able to get inputs to farmers on time, deliver services, and also facilitate financial inclusion. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know it's ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Earth, we broke it, we own it, and nothing is as it was. Not the trees, not the seas, not the forests, farms, or fields, and not the global economy that depends on all of these. But we can restore it, make it better, greener, more resilient, more sustainable. But how? Technology? Geoengineering? Are we doomed to live on a bionic planet, or is nature herself the answer? That's the question we address in every episode of Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. And today, we put that question to one of the more inspiring people I met in Dubai. Hello, my name is Chia Zahiri. I am founder of Ubuntu Alliance, a company working to increase information and data to farmers, but also collect information and data from farmers to create and unlock financial opportunities for them. And how does collecting this data unlock financial opportunities to them? So I've been exploring and looking at the voluntary carbon market and incentivizing good agricultural practices. So there's things like carbon offsets, biodiversity offsets, and also the agriculture sector delivers a lot of impact. Like for every job created on farm, it creates eight jobs upstream. So capturing the impact within the agriculture sector and unlocking concessional finance, impact funding, climate-related funding, so that farmers can increase access to finance, to build resilience, and also improve their profitability. And you're a farmer's daughter, aren't you? Yes, I'm a farmer's daughter. You grew up <laughs> digging in the dirt. 
you can say that. And it was through working with the young farmers from the Horticulture Development Council, the Apex Body for Horticulture, that I noticed... The what? The Horticulture Development Council. Okay. The Apex Body for Horticulture, that I found that there's a massive gap in data and a lot of farmers in my country are missing out on opportunities to access impact funding or to enter into the voluntary carbon market. And there are amazing methodologies around soil organic carbon content. We have covered agroforestry on the show. So we know about carbon methodologies. Do you have specific methodologies that you're talking about or is it anything to do with carbon and finance? Because obviously a farmer can't just do it on their own. They have to be part of a program. So within the agricultural value chain, Vera have a sustainable agricultural land management methodology and they recently, earlier this year, announced a food loss waste methodology. So food loss accounts for about 8% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So now imagine having a mechanism to finance integration or improving cold supply chain for farmers. With these methodologies, there's a lot of opportunities to improve and optimize our food production systems. I thought of that as not really being related to farmers, more being related to consumers and stuff. But uh, did I misunderstand something? Or So with the food loss waste methodology, farmers can tap into it. So I'll refer to fruit and vegetables. So your pack house output, if you know how much you're harvesting and how much is leaving your pack house, you can start to measure your food loss waste. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a number of studies and on the continent we know that 30 to 50% of certain value chains are actually lost. So I have a theory that we produce enough food, but it's just the efficient distribution of that food that can result in shortages in certain areas. But, but that is usually after it leaves the farm, right? Even or on farm as well. I think the most affected are smallholder farmers who might not have that integration of cold supply chain. The sooner you remove your field heat, the longer the shelf life of your product is. Gotcha. So basically, they don't distribute it quickly enough. It dries out before they get a chance to distribute it. Is what you're right. You, okay. You, it leads you have earlier spoilage. So the post-harvest handling and post-harvest cold supply chain is very important. And if you're a farmer, whether 50% or 80% gets to market, yeah, it's yeah. going to affect your profitability. So there's an opportunity to leverage carbon finance to improve the efficiency, which will also mean that the farmers are getting more in terms of... And pay for infrastructure. Uh Infrastructure that can then also improve and increase the productivity of a farmer. So if we look at something like um, soil-generated carbon offsets and those credits, you can use that to help a farmer pay for drip irrigation. Drip irrigation, you have better water efficiency. And for farmers without irrigation, you're increasing their production. You're giving them two seasons. Cold supply chains are exactly what they sound like. They are supply chains with refrigerators in them, so fruits, veggies, and meat last longer. When we waste food, we also waste all the energy and water that went into growing it, harvesting it, and distributing it, while rotting food produces methane, a greenhouse gas that traps more than 80 times as much heat as carbon dioxide does, at least in the short term. The food waste methodology that Chiedz is referring to emerged this year after several rounds of expert review and public consultation to quantify emission reductions associated with activities that reduce food waste. I'll be focusing more on food waste in Season 9 if I get the funding to do so. You can help me by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash bionicplanet. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com 
forward slash Bionic Planet. There you can support the show for as little as $1 per episode and with a monthly cap. By the same token, if you're an ethical business looking to reach a global climate-aware audience, you can sponsor the show by reaching out to me directly at steve at bionic-planet.com. That's steve at bionic-planet.com. Finally, you can support the show by giving me an honest five-star review on whichever podcatcher you access me through. That helps because the more stars I get, the more ears I get. And the more ears I get, the more minds I can reach. And we must reach hundreds of millions of minds if we're to meet the climate challenge. We can do it if we all work together. And now with the soil methodology, to engage with that, you do have to develop a project. You can't just be an individual. Are you working with project developers on this? So I'm part of the Zimbabwe Carbon Association, and that's where project developers come in. Mm -hmm. Project developers offer a valuable service to a farmer. A farmer just wants to farm. Yeah. They don't want to worry about methodologies, compliance, auditing, reporting, monitoring, evaluation. So that is the value add that a project developer comes. So farmers are typically operating on a local level, supplying into local markets. And the voluntary carbon market is operating on a global scale. And you have blue chip companies wanting to buy thousands, millions of carbon credits. So the project developer of works as a very vital intermediary between the farmer and the global carbon market, but also a lot of project developers have a secondary ancillary function where they are aggregating farmers so that the farmers can have that critical mass to be able to then be a player, the <coughs> global carbon market. Okay. And where does Zimbabwe stand in terms of legislation on the voluntary carbon market? So we have legislation, we have statutory instrument 150, and the beautiful thing is that I think the voluntary carbon market was pretty much the Wild West and it wasn't very regulated. And Zimbabwe introducing legislation earlier this year, the biggest positive in that is we now have a regulatory framework that we can abide by. And I think for now, the voluntary carbon market is a new space, a lot of people are figuring it out, and it's going to take a while of tweaking and panel beating to get to a point where everyone is relatively happy. So we do have legislation. It is a welcome development. Personally, I'm pushing that we need to take a sectoral approach. There are over 3,000 methodologies. There are different stakeholders when it comes to a carbon project. There are different origination costs. So that all needs to be factored in. Mm -hmm. And that's going to take quite a while to develop sector-specific legislation and regulation around the carbon project. And your sector is all going to be land use and obviously agriculture and using carbon finance to improve agriculture. Carbon projects direct funding into ventures that could otherwise not be economically viable. Raising conservation finance for the big five lions, elephants, it's easy because right. you can see that. Right. But when it comes to trees, mm -hmm. when it comes to eco ecosystems, that's not as attractive and the Red Plus methodologies have offered a mechanism to incentivize conservation. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that as a sector, we can improve the integrity, but also ethical practice so that we continue to have a mechanism that is very positive. And beyond carbon projects have a massive social impact. They have a massive impact on biodiversity as well, mm -hmm. which is something that hasn't really been spoken to. So I think we are getting a growing recognition on the linkage between biodiversity and carbon and the need to protect both simultaneously. 
And unfortunately, one, one project that's gotten a lot of attention in Zimbabwe is the Kariba Project. I know a bit about the Kariba Red Project, but I will like to put a disclaimer that I think there's a lot not in the public domain that we don't know or hasn't come out. But the international coverage of the Kariba Red Project has been focusing on South Pole, focusing on the methodology that was developed almost 10 years ago, of which Vera has come up with um, enhanced methodology. But I think there's been limited coverage of the actual communities and engagement with the actual community leaders. And I feel like that's one massive voice that's been missing in this conversation. The coverage is looking at the business people who got hurt. It's not looking at the people on the ground who are going to be hurt if this project goes belly up. Because right now it's just on hold. It's on hold and the project needs to be resolved in a way that people are mindful and we return to what carbon projects are for. It's to divert climate finance. So carbon credits are a subsector of climate finance and it's a mechanism to get funding to the people at the forefront of the effects of climate change. And I feel like a lot of the coverage in the media has been around the millions and the money and it's taking away from the conservation and climate change. We're at COP28 right now because of climate change and we need to return the focus to what is the issue that we are working together to resolve. So what's interesting too with carbon finance is you have these private sector actors coming in and then you also have the government doing its part. What, what do you see as the role of government in the voluntary carbon market and what do you see as the role of the private sector and organizations like yours? So I feel like government are there to offer the enabling environment, the um, clarity in the policy frameworks. So we're guided by government, but when it comes to the implementation, this is where private sector can come in and implement the national strategy. So government gives us the vision of the direction that they want a country to go in and private sector can come and complement that by bringing in their execution capacity by mobilizing private capital to then feed into the execution capacity mm -hmm. the countries where government and private sector are working hand in hand we're moving forward very quickly and even within the carbon market as well, there is also a space for governments to come in. And we, as private sector, we're looking forward to more ITMOs and bilateral trade agreements being signed because that creates a win-win for us. We know that the price of an ITMO is much higher than a price of a voluntary carbon, carbon credit on the voluntary carbon market. Yeah. ITMOs difficult, though, because if there's a corresponding adjustment, then Zimbabwe is giving up some of the credit for reducing emissions internally. And this is where we need to be working together so we don't end up in debt, but at the same time we still leverage our capacity to unlock opportunities and to also finance. There's an interesting project being done in Nigeria right now where they're using ITMOs and the carbon market to finance their electric vehicle buses. So they're mm. offering a service to their people and it's a win-win. I assume you're engaging with the Zimbabwean government? So Zimbabwe Carbon Association, we have, we were with government at Africa Climate Week. We are accredited as part of the national delegation, so there is dialogue between private sector and government. Do you, what would you like to see coming out of COP? I think one of the exciting things about conferences is it's an opportunity to exchange ideas. And I think one thing that we are seeing is, especially within the voluntary carbon market, that we are all learning from mm -hmm. each other. So I think it will be exciting to see more South-South partnerships mm -hmm. and South-North partnerships. And it looks like we are moving towards an age of uh, co-creation and collaboration. I think collaboration has been the biggest buzzword I've been hearing right, right. Within, the, within the sessions I've gone into.
And when you talk about this co-creation, are you talking about among African countries, among South-South, or just in general? In general. So I think the development model before, you had donors coming in and offering a prescriptive, we're going to drill boreholes or we're going to do this project. But now in the co-creation of it, because there's more dialogue and most of us in our own individual countries, we understand the challenges we face more intimately. Yeah at project development and or project designing phase, sitting down and saying, what is it that you would like to achieve? And I feel like we're moving towards that type of dialogue of let's design a project or let's design an intervention and taking into account the voices of the people at the implementation at grassroots or ground level early on in that process. It is really interesting to me to see how many African entrepreneurs are here this year. I don't know if it's just because of where I'm hanging out this year or if there is a, an influx of new young African entrepreneurs who are coming in to try to engage with climate finance and stuff like this. Is that your perception as well or is that just something that's been going on and I just didn't notice it? Hosting the COP28 in Dubai at Expo City, because of the sheer size of it, mm-hmm. I think um, we have the most people that have ever attended a COP ever. Yeah. I think, is it 70,000 or 100,000? I think it was like 150,000 total, but the capacity for any individual day was something like 70, because some people only have four days access or five days access. So there's definitely more, um, a greater presence of private sector, because I think even before in my country, run up to COP, we never really heard about it. It was something that was just Ministry of Environment, government officials going, speaking about the environment. But now with Article 6 and the voluntary carbon market and climate finance, we are seeing more private sector players concerned and engaging in climate action. I think on the first and second, there was a business and philanthropy forum. So there is an interest from philanthropy organizations, from private sector capital saying, how do we deploy finance into a global crisis which has no borders and is non-discriminatory. You know what's happening better than I do. Anything I should be asking now? I think on the climate finance capturing that we need more mechanisms to get the billions to the actual implementation on the ground. Three key areas I've been going around and following at this COP have been around climate finance, carbon offsets and biodiversity offsets. You mentioned biodiversity offsets. We don't talk about biodiversity offsets. We talk about biodiversity credits. Let me step in to clarify. There is such a thing as a biodiversity offset, which we've covered on the show a few times, but that's not what we're talking about here. Biodiversity offsets exist in some regulatory systems that allow government agencies to grant permits for development that impacts the habitats of certain species but only if the developer follows the mitigation hierarchy, meaning they aim first to avoid impact, then to minimize that impact they do have, and then offset their impact by restoring degraded habitat of equal or greater ecological value in the same ecosystem. Each of these steps are regulated, and studies have shown that these types of offsets can leave ecosystems better than they were before the developments took place in part because they can replace scattered patches of land with contiguous habitat that better serves animals. Biodiversity credits, like the one Chiedza is referring to, aren't designed to offset anyone's direct impact. Instead, they're a tool for quantifying the impact that specific human activities have on biodiversity to encourage nature positivity, 
which was a major theme of this year's COP28, and a theme I hope to cover more in the year ahead. I can only do that if I get funding, however, and I need your help to do that. If you like Bionic Planet and want more and better episodes, then you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash bionic planet. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash bionic planet. There you can support the show for as little as $1 per episode and with a monthly cap. By the same token, if you're an ethical business looking to reach a global climate-aware audience, you can sponsor the show by reaching out to me directly at steve at bionic-planet.com. That's steve at bionic-planet.com. Finally, you can support the show by giving me an honest five-star review on whichever podcatcher you access me through. That helps because the more stars I get, the more ears I get. And the more ears I get, the more minds I can reach. And we must reach hundreds of millions of minds if we're to meet the climate challenge. We can do it if we all work together. Yes, biodiversity credits, yeah. sorry. Okay. So there are biodiversity credits and throughout this COP I've lost count of how many billions have been committed towards land restoration, renewable energy and being an entrepreneur in Zimbabwe and I know this experience isn't unique to me, we're finding that the money that is up here mm-hmm. with the DFIs and everything, and they want to empower youth and women and green initiatives. With the what? The DF? What's the DFI? D- Development Financial Institutions. Okay. One thing that we're still cracking our head at is how to get the billions in commitment down to the implementers within developing countries. I think there's still a bridge that needs to be bridged. Some of the financial requirements or reporting or data, there's still a bit of work that needs to be done. I think Mm -hmm. it's positive that we can see that we are in the space, that we're having the conversation saying, you've committed this, how are you actually going to implement it? So I think there's still a bit of a road to walk there. And I think we need to accelerate it because no action or inaction is going to be catastrophic for us. Yeah. And again, one of the positive things about these conferences is the exchanging of ideas and South America, especially Brazil, seem to be leading that charge in doing their agroecological accounting and establishing baselines and I think the mathematical modeling on measuring what a healthy ecosystem is, it is complex and it's very difficult because every ecosystem is going to have a different baseline. But once we capture, that is another exciting opportunity that can be unlocked. You talked about the need to get from this top to the bottom and we need to build a bridge. Do you have any idea of what that bridge is going to look like or what bridging you think is going to be most effective? So I think within the agriculture sector in my country in Zimbabwe, we have a hub and spoke model where established bigger businesses can leverage their balance sheets to pre-finance farmers. And I know we don't really like talking about the sector, but one sector that has done it very well in my country is the tobacco sector. Mm. So they, through having this model, the big merchants, they're able to get inputs to farmers on time, deliver services, and also facilitate financial inclusion. And I think that's one model that we can be using to say, okay, how can we get the bigger businesses that have the reporting to leverage their financial muscle to unlock a financial opportunity but facilitate financial inclusion for the SMEs because most businesses on the continent are small and medium enterprises. Jed Zahari closing out this edition of Bionic Planet made possible with support from Ecosystem Marketplace. 
Chiedzo also turned me on to a book called Heart of a Cheetah by Senegalese-American entrepreneur Magata Wad. It's about the generation of African entrepreneurs who are trying to revitalize the continental economy and the challenges they face. Ghanaian economist George Aiti calls these young Africans cheetahs, while he calls the first generation of post-colonial rulers hippos. And I'm in Kenya for three months following up with cheetahs I met in Dubai. And if I get the funding, I'll do a whole series called Green Cheetahs, focused on these dynamic individuals who are shaking up the economies of Africa in ways that are pro-nature and pro-growth. I'm here on my own time and my own dime, and I need your help to deliver these stories. You can deliver that help by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash bionicplanet. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash bionicplanet, bionicplanet, no dots or dashes. There you can support the show for as little as $1 per episode and with a monthly cap. By the same token, if you're an ethical business looking to bring these inspiring stories to a global, climate-aware audience, you can sponsor the show by reaching out to me directly at steve at bionic-planet.com. That's steve at bionic-planet.com. So Patreon is bionicplanet, all one word, no dots or dashes, whereas the email is bionic-planet.com. Finally, you can support the show by giving me an honest five-star review on whichever podcatcher you access me through. That helps because the more stars I get, the more ears I get. And the more ears I get, the more minds I can reach. And we must reach hundreds of millions of minds if we're to meet the climate challenge. We can do it if we all work together. That wraps up today's show. Until next time, I'm Steve Zwick in Nairobi. Thanks for listening. Bionic Planet.